mindfulness mode. All we have is our voice. So if that audio doesn't sound good, no one's going to want to listen to the podcast. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we're here to talk today about a couple of topics. One of them is true crime, and I know a lot of you, Mindful Tribe, are interested in this topic, but we're also here to talk about domestic abuse, and we'll find out how these two topics relate and why my guest is here to talk about them. My guest today is David McClam. David, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am, Bruce. Thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's my honor to have you on the show, fellow podcaster, and I know you do a lot of interviews. Your podcast, I'll just tell Mindful Tribe right off the bat, I'll tell you, the podcast is called True Crime and Authors. True Crime and Authors. Yeah, so check out that podcast. But what does mindfulness mean to you, David? It's probably the most cliche answer ever for mindfulness, but it really is mine. Uh, Just being present in the here and now, knowing where you are at that moment. Um, that's the most important thing to me. That's what mindfulness means to me. Yeah, well, it's so important to be present and, and you know, we can't overstate it because it's just, it's just what it's all about. Just being present right now in this moment, not being so concerned about the future. But I know we're going to be talking about domestic abuse. And I know in your bio, you talk about uh, some of the experiences you've had and how you had domestic, you were in a situation as a child. Would you share with us how your life started and some of the the challenges that you had with domestic abuse? Uh started very young i can remember back to when i was four my father was a very abusive man my mother was most my rock she was the one that was taking most of the beatings until uh, i started getting a little older um with that my dad he he beat us you know i was hung out of three-story windows i was even raped by my dad um i've seen my mom in various uh situations you know being tied to beds smacked uh just literally punched like a man uh, for something as simple as spaghetti not being hot enough. And my dad would throw that. My dad was a big dude. I'm, I'm not small. I'm, I'm about 6'4", mm-hmm. 280. He was about 6'4", uh, about 200, but lean, right? You know, he was full okay. of muscles. Um, so as a child, that scarred me because that's going up. And I mean, this happened for several years. Um, he was my mother's first love. They met in high school. And it was really hard to get away from that. And I know a lot of people say, why don't you just take your child and leave? It's not that easy Um, because the one thing to remember in any type of abuse is the first element of that is control. Um, The second element of that is fear. So when you control somebody with fear, they're not going to move. If I had you chained to a chair in my house and said, look, if you even try to escape, there's a gun outside the door that's going to go off and shoot you. You're going to really think twice about if you're going to try to escape that chair. (laughs) That's right. You are. Yeah. So that's, that's how my life pretty much started. Yes. We ended up getting away from him, but then the cycle of abuse seemed to continue with my mom because the fact that everybody that she met seemed to go down that route, right? They, they were one thing beforehand. And then as you get into relationship, they manifest to be this abusive, controlling person that you don't know how to escape. Wow. Wow. It must have been so much anger in the household, like so much anger in your dad that would cause him to do this. Am I right? Yeah. And I mean, a lot of it was fueled too by drugs, alcohol, Okay. Uh, a lot of people hate when I say this, but I am, before I say it, I'll say that I am very much um, for my my military here. 
You know, I think we have one of the greatest military forces, but I always said that the Marine Corps was the most dumbest military branch because my father is doing all of this, which is against their bylaws, right? Drugging, alcohol, domestic abuse. Yet he got an honorable discharge. Um, And this is after he had five of his buddies take my mother, put her in a chair in a tattoo parlor to have her branded. Um, So her left arm, she carried a brand that had a cross and it said, Ray, well, I'm a junior. So she would tell everybody, well, that's my son. But he had her branded and believed that no other man would ever want her if his brand was on her arm. And so you can imagine that going through that, I grew up very angry. Mm -hmm. And this is how it usually affects people, especially young men, is we don't know what to do with that dispersed anger. Because what we want to do is we want to fight back. But we can't because the person that's abusing us is much bigger than us. And then you're afraid of what happens on the other end of that, right? What if you do plot to kill him or whatever the case is and it doesn't work out? You already know what you're in for at the other end of that. So you don't even try to escape that for that fear. So how did you work through a lot of this anger yourself? Uh, so my mom being the saint that she was, she got me into counseling when I was very young. Started counseling around five or six. I was very angry growing up. If you said hi to me the wrong way, you know, that could be a fight. Um, and as I got older, I just started to realize I wanted to break that cycle. And how could I, uh, not to say anything against the professional psychology, but back in those days in the, in the seventies and eighties and early nineties, I felt like psychologists really wanted to hold people like myself down. They would drug us and say, here, take this drug. You know, the first one they gave me was lithium when I was young and I would get, my mom would get calls from school saying, I don't know what's wrong with him, but he's lethargic. I mean, that stuff made me so sleepy. Cause it was supposed to, you know, make me be in this state to where I'm calm. Yeah. But as you grew up, you're like, no, I can break this without all these drugs. I can break this without you telling me that I'm not because the statistic that I got was that I would grow up. I would beat every woman that I had and I would abuse my kids and I would, I'm supposed to be in jail now. Yeah. And I said, that's not going to be me. I will break this cycle. So I started out, um, with a little meditation, didn't really believe in it. Right. Um, so this is the thing they said, meditate, didn't believe in that till I got older, mm-hmm. probably till the company I work for now. And I really learned what mindfulness was. Uh, and, but I just went and said, I'm going to get married. I'm going to do the best that I can. And I'm going to break this on my own. And that's what I did. And I started talking to people about my story, which also helps tremendously. Okay. So you started meditating and what age was that when you started meditating? So when I first started doubling it into, I was about 15. Yeah. I didn't feel like it really worked for me. Uh, and I think that was a lot because I didn't understand what breathing or meditation or just simply listening to somebody who could help me, what it did. Mm-hmm. And so it took me till I got into my older 20s and 30s before I really understood. Uh, I know this sounds cliche, but technology helped with that. Uh, when Apple came out with the Apple Watch, there's a Breathe app on there. And then with that breathe that they teach you what breathing actually does, you know, it clears the brain, it makes you, you know, calm down and things of that nature. Um, so I owe a lot to it because I'm like, hey, okay, well, let's let's try this. And it, it actually does work. So I'm interested in how you became so interested in true crime and you have your podcast and everything. How, how did that become such a, a, an important part of your life? So my true crime, uh, I guess people call it an obsession, but it's really not. Started back with the uh, Jim Jones and the Jonestown Massacre. I was always very fascinated with that. Uh, When I was younger, there was a lot of movies. Powers Booth actually played Jim Jones in the Jim Jones movie. And I said, hey, you know, 
let's dig deep into this and see what was really going on. I'm a Christian. And I think that's the first thing that that um, got me into that was because Jim Jones was a Baptist minister. Okay. And I wanted to explore how can somebody start off so right yeah. and end up so wrong. And then when you start digging through true crime, you find out that a lot of these cats not taking up for them, but they were like me where they were abused at a young age or, you know, they had sexual trauma or things like that. Not all, but some, and that was heavily connected into the true crime world. And so I'm like, hopefully I don't do I become one of these. So, you know, you start doing this research. And then as I get older, I start to find out there's cases that nobody knows about that's been buried in history that needs to be talked about. And so that's why I started doing true crime. Yeah. So you started true crime and then what took you to the podcasting place? What, what was the trigger that made you think, Oh, I'm going to combine these two things. So I was a YouTube personality for 14 years. Okay. Um, I was into video games there with rock band. My daughter came to me about four and a half years ago. My oldest daughter said, dad, we like true crime. Let's start a podcast. So we ended up starting my first podcast, which was um, a day with crime, which we took turns doing cases. But uh, one day last year, I sat down and I said, I want to put more substance to this. A day with crime was coming to an end. And I says, what can I do uh, to stand out from the rest of the podcasting crowd, still do true crime, but combine something I love to do? And so I love to read and true crime and authors became my next thing. And that's because I read a lot. I'm in a several art teams uh, for people who know what that is. That's an advanced reader's copy. Uh, okay. So authors will send you these copies of books before they are released so that you can read them and give them feedback. I was oh. about three or four of those groups. And I ran across several different authors who I've interviewed now on my, on my website that nobody knew about, but were fabulous writers. So I said, if I can combine true crime and write and, and reading together, then I can get these unknown authors out there as well as doing something that I love to do at both of those. So that's what my tagline is, the podcast that uh, takes two passions into one. Right. And the podcast is called True Crime and Authors. Yeah. And your website is True Crime and Authors as well. TrueCrimeAndAuthors.com. Yes, sir. Yeah. What would we expect to see if we go to your website? So right now you would see all of the cases that I've done as well as the authors that I've done. Recently, AJ Campbell, um, who is the number one selling author for Amazon in the UK, was the last one I've done. Uh, I've done all kinds of cases at this point. Christopher Dorner, who was a cop here in California, that kind of went on a rampage. We've talked about him. Uh, there's many different cases over there. So you find all the cases, a bio about me. I'm currently working on pages now to put up there, which deals with um, my, my story as far as being a domestic abuse survivor. And then also my second leg of what True Crime and Authors is, is called Extraordinary People. So you're here, the first one going up today of Edward Miskey. What that leg of the podcast is, is because I want to bring people into the realm, kind of like you do, of, of other people out there that suffered these things, that's overcome, that's doing extraordinary things in the world. And so now those are bonus episodes that also goes up the regular ones every week. Oh, I see. So to get the bonus episodes, what do you have to do? Nothing, just listen to the show. They're, oh, okay. They will appear right up underneath uh, the regular episodes every week. Awesome. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And do you still have have challenges sometimes of of dealing with your anger or dealing with feelings of, of being alone and isolated? 
you're always going to have some feelings. That's the one thing about domestic abuse of any kind is it's like being a drug addict. It never completely 100% goes away. It's something that we have to work on every day. I don't have a feeling of being alone. I have a family. I've been married for 22 years. I have children. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you you can feel that, right? Um, especially if you're in the right situations. We all have triggers. And my triggers is somebody getting in my face, yelling and screaming at me, especially if you're bigger than I am. Okay. That's a trigger. And I have to be able to hone that in. Um, I would I would love to say we all get rid of it. We all grow it. But the longer that you're in that situation, I think the more triggers that you have, you just learn how to handle those and know when to walk away. Now, you're well aware of your triggers then. Right, right. So I can I can feel it. You know, I, if somebody's making me upset, I can feel that. And I say, you know what? I just need to walk away, yeah. need to breathe. Let's take a moment and we can pull ourselves back in. Yeah. Yeah. That's great that you were able to learn that and, and that you're able to act on that and not allow that anger to manifest itself. Right. That's all. That's all important because we're already I feel like. Uh, women is what you hear about the most. You'll really hear a lot of men talking about domestic abuse. A lot of that has to do with embarrassment um, and the way that men are bred. You know, we're bred to be, you know, the big, strong people. Um, but I think it's very important to know that, yes, we all need to get this out. And once that we're able to learn how to control that, uh, you'll know, you know, you'll, you'll be yeah. a better person for that. And so as an adult, did you experience domestic abuse as well? I did from my first marriage, yeah. Yeah, can you share a little bit about that? So as funny as this sounds, uh, when I met my first wife, you know, there was a movie, I can't remember the name of the movie, but they were all connected by umbilical cords, something like that. So we thought we was the perfect match because she was born October 1st, I was born November 1st of the same year. Okay. Uh, that didn't work out too well. Uh, we got married and from the beginning of the marriage, what I didn't know is her mom was already... Uh, putting in her head that this marriage was not going to work out. Oh, so she had already started hiding money. Uh, I noticed that in my house, we had nothing to eat but tuna fish and rice. Even though if you combine both of the salaries you're making, even that young, I was young at this point, I was like 19. Mm -hmm. um, we still had enough money, you know, to live. And yeah. so one night um, things went off the rails. I was a musician. I was actually in Canada uh, doing a tour with my band and found out that she was having an affair with my best friend who I put in my house to stay there uh, because he had no place to go. Uh, when I confronted that, uh, that's when the the abuse began. I got hit in the back of the head with a frying pan. Uh, I was tackled by her. Uh, I was locked outside. Now, this time I lived in Minnesota in the middle of winter with a negative six below temperature wow. outside, 23 below wind chill, and I'm outside. Uh, with no shoes, no socks, no anything. And wow. back in those days, and I think even still now, it's funny to the police when a man calls and says, hey, I'm the one being abused. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, look at you and look at her. That can't be true. Yeah. And plus, look at your size, because you already told me, aren't you six foot, what, four? Six, four. And back then, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a little chubby now, but back then I was a brick house, right? I mean, I, mm. I you know, muscle everywhere. I was an athlete in high school. And so, you know, back then they would say, well, if you're going to press charges, we're going to take everybody. And she didn't want to go in. And the one reason why it is easy for a woman to abuse a man, even if the man is two times her size, is if that man refuses to hit her back. 
And that's where she knew I would not do because of what my mom had suffered domestic abuse wise. I was always raised by my mom, never hit a woman. You know, now if your life is in danger or something like that, that's a different circumstance. But you just don't ever hit a woman. So she knew I wouldn't hit her back. Mm. And that made it easier at that point. Yeah. Wow. It's really good to talk to you about this, because like you said, a lot of men don't want to talk about this, even if it has happened to them. What can we do to help men to open up and be more vulnerable and share this kind of thing? More shows like this, uh, encouraging men, which is what I'm doing now, to come out and share your truth. You'd be surprised how many men there actually are. There are hundreds of us that has suffered some type of abuse, whether it's by a partner or by a parent. But because of, you know, machismo and I'm supposed to be strong, we compartmentalize that. And that's worse for your health, right? When you hold this stuff in and you can't let it out, that does lead to disease and early death and things of that nature. So when I signed up for PodMatch and I had the option of becoming a guest, I said, this year, that's my mission is to put myself out there and put this story out. And hopefully by being on different podcasts like yourselves, I can get men to come out and say, hey, if he can do that, I can do it too. Let's talk about the uh, the epidemic of men being abused because it's happening every day. I'm so glad you, you're sharing this. Yeah, so important. I want to ask you a question about bullying. And of course, you've talked about a lot of, you know, abuse, domestic abuse and things like this. But like so, bullying is different, really. Bullying is, is a, a different thing where it's repeated... Um, abuse but not necessarily from a parent it's not usually domestic particularly do you have a story where mindfulness would have made a difference when i was younger i did have a kid who rode my bus who found it fun to antagonize me every day Mm. Uh, so he would actually ride bus with me get off on my stop just to run me down and snatch all my books out of my hand and tackle me on the ground uh so I was young. I was probably in the sixth grade. Mindfulness was nowhere near me. And so one day I finally got tired of it. And in the middle of the field, I laid him out Uh, and and I sprung my hand for six months. Uh, That's how hard I hit him. So mindfulness at that point probably would have helped me calm down. I probably would have found a different way to handle that. uh, And I wouldn't have hit him. But the thing was, too, is I always tell everybody when you do certain things to somebody for so long, uh, the reaction that you get is is not going to be the one that you want. Mm. So I think then, yes, violence is never the answer of any kind, but it certainly would have happened then. It would have helped then if I had mindfulness in life. Yeah, for sure. Um, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first question is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life, David? My mother, for sure. Okay, your mother. So through everything that we've been through, she she managed to keep us together and take care of her son, which is very hard to do. Okay, wow, that's that's wonderful that your mother was there for you, and that that is she still alive? Is she still in your life? Unfortunately, I lost my mother September fourth of twenty twenty. Mm. So, but she she lived here with us until she passed. I was able to take care of her, and my mom and I we've always been tight. We've always had just each other. So, of course, that was a huge loss in life. Uh, but I, I feel it with me every day. So I know she's she's still around on my shoulder here. So Yeah. Well, my condolences to you for her loss. And uh, awesome that you still feel her presence like that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, my second question is this. 
It's about emotions. How has mindfulness helped you to deal with your emotions? Uh, not to be so hot tempered so quickly, you know, yeah. to actually think before I act, which is something that I didn't do before my earlier age. Um, so definitely that, you know, breathe, uh, before you answer a question, especially if it's somebody who's annoying you or they're trying to get you, because there's a lot of people when they know this, they actually try to get a reaction. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. It doesn't sound crazy. And so you have to be the bigger person. So yes, definitely breathing, taking a step back and, um, you know, watching what I do before I react. Yeah. And you said breathe. That's my next question is about breathing. Elaborate on that. When you feel that anger, feel that in that moment, tell us about what you actually do that's related to the breathing. So if it gets that way, um, I just step back, breathe, uh, sit there and just and think and, and bring myself back to the center where I am at that point. Um, my Apple Watch, which I wear faithfully every day, helps that because it seems to sense when that's time. So there is a breathe app that pops up and says, hey, take a minute to breathe. And there's a whole app and you hit the button and you start to breathe and, and, it, and it calms you down. So it's just a reminder every day, like I said at the beginning, to be mindful where you are, center yourself and bring back. Realize that the that the situation that you in that you're in now uh, is not as bad as it seems. If you can just step, step back out of yourself for a moment and just take a breath. Yeah, so true. So is there a book that you would recommend that's related to mindfulness? No book that I have found yet. I know there's a whole ton of them out there. Uh, usually I'm buried in reading all of the other authors books. And I have ironically, I haven't come across an author yet that has written a self-help book, uh, but I'm sure they're coming, but I'm looking into some. Um, I'm sure you probably have a lot of great suggestions for those. Yeah, there have been lots of great suggestions on the show. And, and that's just just fine that you don't have a book that you want to share are there any apps and you've already mentioned the apple breathe app are there any other apps that you would recommend there is i do use the app 10 percent happier oh do you i do so um dan harris uh, he was an american journalist uh, i loved his story behind it because i found other apps to be kind of daunting or maybe they preached to you and didn't really explain to you what mindfulness really was um, if you look into Don Harris or Dan Harris, what he did was he had a panic attack, I think around 2014 on the show. Yeah. Um, he didn't really believe in mindfulness or meditation either. Um, and then somebody said, you need to start meditating. And so he did. It led to him writing a full book called 10% Happier. And then he created the app. On that app, you do find him having several conversations with, you know, clinical psychologists and mindfulness coaches. And he walks you through things that you can do. Uh, throughout that day. I even listen to them in my car because there's some that are short enough where you're, they're meant for you while you're driving to be able to take that in. So I really do like and I do suggest the 10% Happier app, especially if you're just now getting into meditation and mindfulness. 10% Happier. Yes, that's a great app. Thanks for mentioning that. And uh, yeah, that, that concludes the five quick answer questions. But I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the podcasting thing that you do. You help people become successful podcasters. Why do you think that's a good thing for a lot of people to do? Podcasting becoming the new radio, it gives people the outlet that they would not have otherwise. Um, you would have to have a big radio contract or somebody that, you know, has an agent that wants to put you on the air. But podcasting, anybody typically now with the phone could fire an app up and get a, a podcasting host and release that stuff. So 
I think that's important because it is therapeutic. There's a lot of podcasts that I have of people that's talking just like I am about tragedy they've been through and it's helped them out. So now that I've done this for almost five years, I just like to help people do it the correct way. Mm-hmm. Um, because over that time, there's a lot of YouTube videos that says you can start a podcast this way. But then what, what happens is they decide to do this full time and realize that the earlier files that they had are not as great as they could be. Mm-hmm. And with podcasting, as you know, all we have is our voice. So if that audio doesn't sound good, no one's going to want to listen to the podcast. Right. And your voice sounds amazing. You're an amazing podcaster. I'm sure your voice helps that because, wow, it's just awesome. Yeah. So if someone wanted to uh, become a successful podcaster, how would they um, reach out to you? Because I know that your your website that I gave out is truecrimeandauthors.com. Is there another website where we would connect with you? No, that's the only website right now. You can also okay. email me at truecommonauthors at gmail.com. Um, also, um, on my webpage is also a link to my link tree that gives you all the links. So okay. I do have a Facebook group and uh, Twitter and all that good stuff. So all the social medias you can reach out to me on. But the quickest way would be send me an email and I certainly will answer back. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode. I really want to applaud you for doing the work you do, sharing this about domestic abuse and and especially men who are abused. This is so important. And uh, doing all the work you do with your podcast and helping people to have successful podcasts. Thanks for everything you do in the world. I really appreciate knowing you, David. Thank you, Bruce, for having me on the show. Keep up your podcast, man. I listen to it every day when I'm in my car. It is awesome. So it's my honor to be on your show today. Thanks so much, David. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening today. I want to ask you, are you blaming yourself for the way you're feeling and experiencing a sense of worthlessness? As you know, I'm a hypnotist and I'm dedicated to helping people move from a place of struggle to a life of satisfaction and groundedness. Maybe you are a little curious about how hypnosis can help people move forward, how it can actually help people move forward way quicker than maybe some other methods. It'll help you take back your power and give yourself permission to thrive because you know what? You truly deserve it. I'll help you become the person you were meant to be. Just jump on a free call with me and I'll help you see how your world can be more fulfilling and satisfying with excitement and momentum. Think of it. Think of your life with excitement and momentum. Just set up an email, put the word transition in the subject line and email me at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. I look forward to talking with you. So listen, take what we've learned today and reach new heights of calm, focus and happiness. Stay in the mode.